morning. We are in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, and we're reading verses 6 through 10. And it says this, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh will from the, uh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is God's word. You may be seated. God, as Pastor Kyle comes before us this morning, we pray that you would fill his spirit, Lord, with your spirit, that you would speak through him and speak to him, Lord. God, and speak to all of us that we would go out changed by your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. I'm excited to, uh, to actually hear from um, Pastor Mark and Joe Marin soon um, from the pulpit and uh, I think the, the week after next um, for those for two weeks we're going to be able to hear from them so I hope that that's exciting to you and God has really gifted them and, and um, encouraged our church through them in so many ways and I wanted to thank you all too uh, many of you were here yesterday working pretty hard um, no word of the no word of a lie two months ago I was at um, I was down by the Bristol where they shoot the fireworks in Bristol, and uh, I'm not I'm not lying. This is not a joke. A squirrel had a mask on, <laughs> like this. I think he was biting it, but it looked it was on. So if squirrels can do it, we can do it. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, <laughs> thank you for. Your participants, many of you were here working real hard yesterday. We made, they're all in my, um, our library slash my office, and there's, there's 200 bags that we're about to deliver to the Hugh Cole School. We were able to purchase um, gift cards for all the teachers um, for, for a local restaurant, and God was just good to us um, through, through your hard work, generosity, and prayers. I know, I know some of you couldn't come yesterday, but you were praying for us. You wanted to be there. And, um, just praying for our teachers, too. So be praying for that. We just love them, love our kids. It's a way to just give a cup of cold water to our neighbors. So um, that'll be fun when we get to deliver those um, as well. And it's just so good to be gathered with you all today to sort of land the plane in the book of Galatians in chapter 6. Um, we are um, basically one sermon away after this one from finishing. And it's been a delight to to be go to go through what is essentially sort of really the heartbeat of, the, of a clear gospel declaration in scripture. If you want to know what the gospel is, um, there, you, you basically, you, you would turn to one of the gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Then you would go to Galatians or Romans. And that's sort of the heartbeat of what we do and what we believe as Christians. Um, when I was a young boy, I lived um, on Grove Street in Fall River. And if you know where Grove Street is, it was right near um, the Charlton Memorial Hospital, sort of like a back road around the side. I lived there with my mother and my sister, and I, I think for some time we even lived with another family from the church that we were in, in this three-tenement um, apartment house that are so popular in Fall River, Fall River to see. 
uh, the, it had a relatively, as most of them do, it had a relatively small backyard. And if you're familiar with Fall River tenement houses, you're lucky if you even get one. But we had a small one in the backyard. I remember this day distinctly. I couldn't have been more than four or five because I was eating a plum, juicy one. And when I was finished, my childhood whimsy just led me to the backyard, to that small sort of 10 square foot piece of grass in our backyard to dig a small hole in the ground um, in which I threw the pit of that plum. And I sort of vigorously covered it over with dirt. And I fully expected that all of this sort of horticultural labor would produce a fruitful, blossoming plum tree with maybe within a few weeks. <clears throat> So I sort of imagined myself skipping down there, picking plums whenever I wanted. I didn't have to wait for my mom to return in her duster or Datsun or whatever it was um, with a bag of plums from the store. Now time went on and I forgot about this little, little experiment of mine and just sort of found other things to do. Well, this is, this is also the truth. 20 years later, we had long since moved. I think by this time we had moved from Somerset to Taunton and I think I was actually living in Fall River on a, in a different location. That's why I was in the area this day, and I was driving around my old neighborhood, just sort of reminiscing about years gone by. And I remembered the horticultural brilliant work I did that day. And I wondered, is it possible that there could be a plum tree in that it's 20 years now? Perhaps some miracle of divine origin has occurred and there would be a great plum tree that I could go pick a plum. So I parked my car in the middle of the night, and I trespassed into the backyard. <laughs> and to my sad dismay, I know you were all hoping, as, as was I, there was no plum tree. <laughs> Maybe someone ran it over with their lawnmower. The Bible makes a promise to us here as Christians. It says something very powerful to us in this text that I know if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably read this a few times and are familiar with this passage of Scripture. But the promise is very simple, and it's this, that the work that God's people do to pursue Christ and to spread his kingdom always, underline always, always produces a harvest. Always does. We will never approach the backyard of our pursuits of holiness and God's kingdom growth and find an empty barren field like I did that day with my plum tree. If anyone wants to buy me a bag of plums, I will gladly take them. The promise is in scripture, this is the promise in scripture. If you sow the kingdom, you will reap the kingdom. If you sow the Spirit, you will reap the Spirit. If you sow the Word, you will reap the Word. It never returns void. So now we get to the end of this magnificent letter on Galatians. And remember, the primary purpose that Paul was writing was to remind the church that they were 
not forgiven of sin. They were not made right with God. They were not given eternal life, adopted into his family, given communion with God by their works or performance. They were given these things by the free grace of God in the death and resurrection of Jesus. In other words, when God sows his kingdom in us, he reaps his kingdom in us. He doesn't try to save us and fail. God's sowing work of salvation always, always, always produces in us and in his people a harvest of eternal life. Consequently, reversely, we might see, I might say, sin results in a harvest of death. If the spirit results in a harvest of life, then the flesh will always produce death in us. It is a universal principle. Sow to the flesh, reap to the flesh. Sow to the spirit, reap to the spirit. So if God plants the kingdom in us and produces a harvest, he calls us likewise, Galatians 6, this is the conclusion. If God has sown his word and his spirit in us and saved us by grace through faith, then we need to reciprocate around us to the world around us. We need to be kingdom sowers. The call is to persevere in kingdom sowing. I'm going to explain to you what does that mean that sounds sort of vague and how does, what does that look like in real life, and we'll get to that. Job chapter 4, verse 8, reads, Though those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. And Hosea chapter 8, verse 7 says, They sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. So we, in this passage, have a very sobering, difficult, hard reminder, but also a very joyful hope. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. We should never think that somehow we can sow the seed of trying to save ourselves through our own good works, making a a big deal about us, and somehow reap life from the Spirit. That that we can sow seeds of the, the flesh and think that we can reap the fruit of the Spirit. You see, God says to us through Paul here, God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. So the conclusion of Paul's letter to the Galatians is that the harvest of life comes when we sow the word, sow the spirit, and sow compassion, those three things. Whenever we sow these three things, God's word promises that we will reap the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. So let's talk about it. The first thing scripture tells us is to reap, excuse me, is to sow the word. Verse 6, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. There we see sort of a kind of sowing and reaping, sowing the word, reaping um, provision. The kinds of seeds that reap a harvest of life, eternal life, are here presented. Scripture said, if you paid attention um, carefully to the, the, the passage that we just read, Paul says that we are to reap eternal life, that the goal to our sowing in the spiritual life is so that we will reap eternal life. So eternal life is the incentive. It's the reason that we would reap to Christ. We would, we would excuse me, sow Um, the good seed of his word and of his spirit. Eternal life is the harvest. It's the incentive to sowing the kind of seed Paul expounds on. 
He wants us, God's people, and he wants his world to enjoy eternal life. That's the harvest that we're after, eternal life. You might say, that sounds very kind of pie in the sky, otherworldly. What are you even talking about, like angels and clouds, and what, what are you referring to? Jesus said this about eternal life. He defined it for us, eternal life in John 17. This is eternal life that you may know, that they may know you, the one who sent me, and they may know me, the one you sent. Knowledge in scripture is intimacy, intimate relationship. Eternal life, a.k.a. heaven, is intimacy with God forever, unbroken. That's what it is. Eternal life is not only in heaven then. If eternal life is to know Christ and to know his Father, Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, I pray that, you, that they may know you in the present. So we sort of get a taste of eternal life right now because in Christ we can have rich, intimate communion with the Heavenly Father and with Christ through the Spirit. So Jesus reminds us of this when he said that he came to give us life in this life and life more abundantly in the next. So in other words, the communion with God, eternal life that we're after, can be experienced now. We don't have to wait for heaven. But it is experienced later than fully when we see him face to face in heaven. See, the search for meaning and purpose, self-worth, and so on, is the sinner's attempt to set right all that is wrong with them in this world outside of God's salvation. Reaping eternal life is what we're all after. Everyone's out. Even those who don't yet know Christ or have faith in Christ, what they want most is eternal life. And what I mean by that is they want the sense of satisfaction, communion, rich intimacy. They just don't realize that what the only one that can satisfy that need is the Lord Jesus Christ. So they seek it in everything but him. And it leads only to further darkness and heightened insecurity. Yet life finally comes by knowing Christ. The Jesus seed always produces life. So Paul begins here by reminding us that if we want to reap life, we must sow the word of God because Jesus is the word made flesh. If we want the life that never fails, we need to pursue it through the word, through the seed that only can give it, which is Christ and his word. Isaiah chapter 55 says this, Come you who have no money. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? Tough times, right? Come you who have no money. Come and buy and eat. Why spend money on what is not bread? Listen to me and eat what is good that you might live. Why spend money on bread that is not bread? I remember um, when I was younger, we were given this presentation of um, children in Haiti literally eating dirt. They would mix sort of like this powdery substance with literal mud, um, and they would make these cakes that would dry in the sun. And that's, they were so poor and so starving, that's the only thing that they could eat. Oh, friends, why? Spend the little money that you have on bread that is not bread. 
You see, friends, the new marriage is not bread. The new girlfriend is not bread. Making more money is not bread. Jesus is the bread of life. His word is the bread of life. So Paul begins by reminding us to sow the word. Come you who have no money, come buy and eat. Why spend money on what is not bread? Listen to me, eat what is good that you might live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Let the wicked forsake their ways. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. Oh, what a great passage of scripture. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without making it bud and flourish, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I will desire. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Instead of the thorn bush, instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle. Isn't that great news? You see, we've been looking for bread. We've been spending our lives and our energy and our passion on it but we only find a mud cake that satisfies us not at all. Friend, the word never returns void when we see the brightness of Christ, the promises coming from his mouth as a sharp sword. Our hearts leap with joy, and the life that we've been after is realized. It never returns void. Only God's word can bring life. It is the life seed that will produce a harvest of life and all other seed is a different kind and they will never give you life. So friends, be in the word. Pursue the word. In John 1, we learn that Jesus is the word of God, that in him is life and in him is light, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So friends, to hear the word of God, to listen to it, to believe it, is to have it produce guaranteed life in you, a harvest. Don't neglect the word. So our text reminds us of this. It says, seek the word. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. The way that scripture tells us here, one way, by, one way that we receive the word is to receive it through instruction. That is, we read the word, but we also submit ourselves to the teaching of God's word through those who are qualified and gifted by his spirit to teach it. Receive instruction in the Greek is the Greek word catechumen. We get um, the, the word, the, we get like uh, uh, the word um, catechism from it, which is sort of like lessons in Christian doctrine. So it's the organized arrangement of of the teaching of what Christianity teaches, Christian doctrine. So here we're told to not just simply be lone rangers in our Bible reading. We, of course, are to do that too. We're to read our scriptures in our prayer closet. But we're also to be faithful members of God's people, to sit under the engine of catechumen, as in Ephesians, who, which instructs that God gave some to be pastors and teachers and so on. So we're not to neglect the reading of God's word, but also the hearing of, it teaching, hearing of its teaching from those who are qualified. Now, again, I emphasized this a few weeks ago at our Back to Church Sunday. This is not a manipulative tool for you, uh, for me to get more people to come to this church on Sunday. 
but it is an encouragement for all of us um, who call ourselves Christians to be a meaningful part of the local church, whether it be this one or any one. Wherever you find yourself, whether it be in Warren, Rhode Island, or China, or Russia, you will find God's people and hear the word of God and come under that word. <clears throat> it is imperative, then, to hear the word of God, to be present with God's people as it's taught. It's not about me, you're not showing up for me, but for God's word, right? And that can be done by any, you know, you could, you could give my clothes to somebody else and put him in here if he was gifted to teach God's word. It matters not who the person is. In one sense, what matters is the word of God. I have weaknesses, and you'll learn that quick when you get to know me. But if God has go, so gifted us to teach God's word, then it's my job to study and proclaim that word and our job collectively to hear it and to submit ourselves to it as the bread of life. So in our seeking the word, we likewise support the word. They should share all good things with their instructor. Now this is, this is why oftentimes people, um, pastors don't like to, to preach verse by verse through scripture because it ends up, you end up having to teach things that often aren't popular, <laughs> right? Um, they, they often deal with things that we know could potentially get some sort of like harsh consequence from the hearer. But nevertheless, scripture says, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. It's tricky for me to preach this because it, it can kind of sound a little self-serving. I'm the teacher, right? So share your stuff with me, folks. It's in the Bible. Right, so as the hearer, I can understand why you might trip up with this a little bit. Because I'm the one telling you, sometimes I wish someone else could teach this, so you wouldn't think I have some ulterior motive and I'm just here for money. Right? Nevertheless, here it is in Scripture. Should share all good things with their instruction. Faithful pastors that labor, or t pastor teachers, I should say, faithful pastor teachers that labor in the study of God's word, and teach it faithfully, not just in settings like this, but continually throughout the week, should reap good things shared by the congregation. They're not only showing up, so you, the congregation, are not show, only showing up simply to be encouraged by the word. You're here to ensure that the word can be preached. You see? So you're not just receiving the word. You are the, you are the resource behind it so that the word can go forth, right? So you're not only just showing up to learn from the word, you are ensuring that the teacher is free in his time to both study and proclaim it. The principle here is that the ones who are taught the word should support the ones teaching the word. I'm thankful, by the way, for a church who understands this very well. Um, I don't... Um, I don't believe this church to be sort of like immature in this area. I do feel a little safer preaching on this because of that. <laughs> Luke chapter 10, 10 verse 7, the worker is worthy of his wages. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 11, if we have sown spiritual good among you, is it too much if we reap your material benefits? 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 14, those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So what scripture is teaching all throughout scripture is that, that pastor teachers 
should receive a living wage. Now, of course, that might be abused. Isn't that true? The preacher-teacher might be tempted to neglect, to laziness, maybe to demand maybe excessive amounts of money. That's why Paul cautions in Timothy that they should not be greedy for money. But also, he says, elders who do well are worthy of double honor or remuneration or a living wage. So you need to underline do well. In other words, if they're not doing well, don't pay them. And you have the responsibility to discern that. The pastor who labors and teaches diligently should receive a living wage. If they do not rule well, if they're lazy um, as students of God's word and as teachers, they are not worthy of that living wage, and the church has the right to do something about it. Likewise, the church must not hold the pastor hostage in what he teaches because we pay you. I don't like what you're saying, so bridle your tongue, mister. Right? The pastor needs to be given freedom to proclaim, the God, to proclaim God's word no matter what it says, if he teaches well, even when that teaching, teaching stings, it should be supported. The Bible's continued insistence that teaching pastors um, should be receiving a living, a living wage. Now, this is really the most important thing I'm saying about this. Hear this. The Bible's continued insistence that teaching pastors should receive a living wage highlights not the importance of the pastor, but the importance of the word of God. Right? In other words, God isn't just ensuring that people like me can pay our bills. The instruction is given here so that the, the church can continually have an engine of the word of God being proclaimed. What you're supporting is God's word. You see, that's the point. There's 101 things a church could spend its money on. But a church always loses its power when they begin to spend their money on on, on be, taking care of their building because it's a historical site or anything else but God's word. When you start to neglect the word of God, things just decay. John Stott, John Stott writes this, the scriptural principle is clear that the minister should be set free from secular wage earning in order to devote himself to the study and the ministry of the word and to take care of the flock committed to his charge. And Martin Luther adds this, It is impossible for one man both to labor day and night to get a living and at the same time give himself to the study of sacred learning as the preaching office requires. So we are to sow the seed of the word. As students, that means we show up and we hear the word of God taught, but we also enable those gifted teachers to teach it. And by this, we spread the word. By this showing up, by this support and partnership with the preaching of God's word, we're able to spread the word. We provide for the material needs of those proclaiming God's word as sort of a vocation so that we don't just preach to you, but we're able to take that word and spread it beyond this place to your brothers and sisters and neighbors, our friends at the park and police station and teachers. You see, I, I'm freed up to do so, many of these things throughout the day because I'm not driving a UPS truck, you see, to, to support my family. The word is life, and that word must be sown. To reap life, 
we must sow the word, but we also, number two, need to sow the spirit. Verse eight, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Ooh, ouch. See, I just got a demotion for that one. <laughs> whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Jesus said this similarly when he said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Friends, if the word of God is sown in our hearts and we respond in faith to that, we will be sowing to please the spirit. That's what it means to sow the spirit. It's to hear God's word and to not fight it or resist it, but to say, yes, this is my life. And by this, we don't quench or grieve the spirit. That is how we sow to please, please the spirit. We live our lives in such a way as to, quote Ephesians 4.1, walk worthy of the call to which we have been called. So this means that we are aiming in our daily life to crucify the flesh, our selfish wills, our perverted desires, our jealousies, and our unforgiveness. We're aiming to crucify the flesh and to walk in the spirit. As believers in Jesus, this passage teaches that there are two fields that you can sow seed in, the flesh field and the spirit field. So we need to decide. Today, when I wake up and I get out of my bed, what field am I going to sow in? The flesh field or the spirit field? And by the, and by the way, this isn't to heap guilt or shame on you if this morning, immediately, you started sowing the flesh field. It's, it's to encourage you that if that was you, you can immediately come out of it, out of it and drop to your knees and begin to sow the spirit field. So the, these two fields that we need to be mindful of <clears throat> that we are sowing in the spirit field or the flesh field. And we also need to remember that we don't aim to live by the spirit so that God will love us. That's the whole point of Galatians. God loves us by grace through faith. And we live by the spirit not to earn his love, but to worship him for his love, right? To enjoy his life that he's given to us. So we're not sowing in this field to earn his affection, but to be who we are in Christ, to experience communion with him and rich fellowship with him, promised to us in the new birth. But we cannot think, and this is the caution, that if we choose the flesh field, then the fruit of the spirit is going to grow. It won't. It will not. It will revert us back to darkness and it will offer us no life. So friend, I want to encourage you, implore you, sow the spirit field. Walk in the spirit, and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Avoid the me field. This is about me. This is about how everyone is getting in the way of me. The I'm going to prove myself field. Oh, friends, would you crucify that field? And would you begin to sow in the Jesus field? The Jesus proves me field. The life field or the death field? <laughs> Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. If we hear his word but don't do it, if we resist the spirit, 
and we don't sow in the spirit field, the outcome is grave. So the old person in us that seeks to self-promote and seeks life from things that can't give it, eating bread that isn't bread, that person still remains in us. And we need to continually remind ourselves that we're prone to want to eat the old bread that's moldy and can't give life. We can't coddle that flesh. That flesh in scripture is to be crucified. A very violent and bloody term. We're told to crucify our flesh. We need to renounce it as a liar because it offers us life when it cannot give us that life. So when the flesh tempts you, to harbor a grudge. Oh, isn't that hard when you're harboring a grudge? You're just angry at, so how could they do this to me? I trusted them. And you hold on to that grudge. Because for some reason, in some weird way, it's the only thing that comforts you, to be angry. When you meditate on some injury done to you, when you have some sexual fantasy that you continually rehearse or when you wallow in self-pity and guilt oh friends let's wake up collectively to the spirit life that's waiting for us and follow the spirit cover that dead field with salt and banish it from your life don't be tempted to go back to that dead and lifeless field thinking that it will make you happier and make you whole because it won't. Remember, whoever sows to, this, to, the, to please their flesh in verse 8, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they know me, Christ. So friends, when we are tempted to sow in the flesh field, loudly proclaim rehearse in your heart this reaps nothing only the word of god does not return void go to the word go to the promises of god answer the busyness of your mind and heart with his promise to reap life then we must sow the word sow the spirit and finally sow compassion let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Isn't that beautiful? Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So there's a, there's a clear progression I, hear, I think is here, because it first mentions the word, sow the word. When we sow the word, it leads us to sowing the spirit. In other words, the word, is, the word transforms our thinking, our heart, our attitudes, sowing the spirit. Sowing the word, sow the spirit. And finally, if that's occurring, the natural sort of progress, the outcome of this, is that you're going to begin being good to others, sowing compassion. In other words, it's going to change your actions. When God's word changes your heart, it changes your deeds, right? So here's the clear progression, I think, of this. But you know what? This all requires a bit of encouragement. 
because we are told point blank, do not become weary. Now I'm, you know, not the brightest bulb in the bunch, but I'm guessing that that's in there because we grow weary. Amen? Following Jesus burns us out. It makes us tired. And we start to wonder, is he faithful? Does his word really work? So we're told here, don't give up. Don't, don't become weary. Sowing for Christ, following Jesus, can wear us out. We don't always see the fruit or the benefit of our work. It's slow. So that sort of impatient five-year-old boy just doesn't have the energy to return week after week after week to care for that seed in the ground. I just wanted to throw it in and poof. Plum tree. So we don't see the fruit or the benefit immediately, sometimes even in our own hearts. Why, why am I so grumpy and anxious and afraid still? That, that, that transformation, that fruit that we're after can be slow. So we start wondering, like, is God really faithful? Is this even true? We don't always see the fruit of the, the kingdom work that we're doing. So we might be tempted to give up, give up on our fellowship, give up on each other, on our neighbors, on our community, give up on our husband or on our wife that we've been praying for. Thursday, um, we, a couple of weeks ago, we were supposed to do a movie, if you remember that in the park, but it rained like cats and dogs. So it got canceled, and then I lost our bounce houses that we were going to bring. So but I said, I'm going to show up with chips. That's all I had. We had a bunch of chips left over. So I, I showed up on Thursday night at Burris Hill Park, and I was just sort of meandering around like a creep giving chips to people. <laughs> and I found on the basketball court, you know, people were a little hesitant. Who are you? They might take a bag, and it's like, okay, I'm a, you know, I, you need a kid with you to pull anything off. This creepy old man with chips. Um, so I'm like, I see off in the distance near the basketball court a bunch of, there's like 10 teenagers. So I'm like, they don't care. They'll take these chips. Okay, so I walk over to them, and I say, hey, you guys want some chips? And they say, sure. And they, they, you know, they polish off a whole box. And I'm like, thank you. See you guys later. Um, so then I went back into the crowd, and I saw the, the woman that I sort of made arrangements with to be there. She was in charge of the night. And I told her I just gave the, that pack of teenagers some chips. And they said, oh, you know what? Those teenagers, we've been having real problems with them in the town. They've been lighting things on fire. Park benches, picnic tables. And I'm like, well, what are, why aren't they, what are they doing there? <laughs> Go get them. They're right there. But, they, you know, obviously they've been dealing with it. And there are all sorts of problems that have been created. So this is what I did. Okay. Thought, said a quick prayer. I walked back over to them. And I said, I have a deal for you. You might not like me for this church, so I'm going to warn you, but we'll see. I said, I have a deal for you. I said, I'm going to buy all of you cheeseburgers. There was a, there was a cheeseburger truck. I want to buy all of you. They knew by this point that I was a pastor of, of this church. I want to buy all of you cheeseburgers, but there's a catch. I'm like, what? Yeah, we want cheeseburgers. We're hungry. Right? Like, so there's a catch. I'm like, what? What's the catch? I'm like, I want you to go home, and I want you to look up the Gospel of John, and I want you to read it, and then in a few days, I'm going to find you. And I want to ask you what you thought. So that's what I did. So we went over. I bought them all cheeseburgers. And now they're probably looking for me in the park to avoid me or something. <laughs> you see, friends, if you lose heart, 
who's going to be there for them? Who's going to save them? If we lose heart, you see, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. There are many times where I should have done some stuff like that and didn't, right? I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but friends, if we collectively lose heart, who's going to be there for your neighbor's kids? I don't know your neighbors. I don't live where you live, right? Who's going to be there for your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your husband? Oh, so scripture says, sow compassion. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Believe. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. Amen? Amen. Friends, the word never returns void. It will enrich our communion with God, and it will give us life. The spirit field is, is life-giving, and the flesh field is destruction. Follow the spirit. Do whatever he tells you to do. And oh, friends, as a church, can we collectively rejoice with people when God's people respond to the spirit and are obedient, even if it doesn't serve us in our immediate need. You know, sometimes churches like this, missionaries move to China, or people start a church down uh, in, in another town close by, or serve in some other capacity. We had, a youth we, we had a worship leader that became a youth pastor. We can rejoice in that. He's following Christ. It's not our loss, it's the kingdom's gain. That's what matters, amen? amen. So let's not be selfish and self-serving. Let's celebrate that the word doesn't return void and that when people are digging in the spirit field, it's going to produce life. Amen? amen? And sow compassion. It will reap life. Our police, our neighbors, our school teachers, our children, it will reap it might not be on our timetable. It might take a little longer than we thought, but we'll reap the love of Christ. And your marriage can be restored. Your broken heart can be mended. Oh, friends, have you lost heart? Are you weary? It's likely because of that due time. Did you see that? In due time, you will reap. That's very vague. It doesn't, due time isn't 10 minutes. Or one hour. It could be 10 minutes, but it might be 10 years. In due time, we shall reap. Children expect plum trees to come out of the ground the next day. Adults don't. Let's be adults. And let's not lose heart. Let's be spiritual adults. We are God's people. Do not give up. Oh, there's a vital, vital principle here, and I'll just close with this real quick. If we give up on the world around us, we d if we stop sowing good deeds, and we stop believing that God is going to transform them, it is likely because we have stopped believing the word of God. Word, spirit, world, right? Um, sow the, wor the word, sow the spirit, sow good works to the world. If we're not doing this over here, it's likely because we've forgotten the word of God and we've stopped believing the promises of God. So friends, go to the word. The word is our foundation. If you are growing weary, if you are losing heart, you need to hear the word of the Lord again for it to give you life. Don't lose heart and give up on the word. Don't lose heart and give up on the spirit. And don't lose heart and give up on sowing compassion. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, that we will reap. 
So God, I pray, Lord, that your word would be sown in our hearts, that we likewise would take our hearts and sow it into the spirit, and that you would transform us so that we would sow goodness around us to the world around us. Let us be patient and trust you that your kingdom is coming. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us now and bless every, everyone here who might have a heavy heart. Would you deliver them from their burden? And God, I pray, Lord, help us to rejoice in your promise. If you don't know Jesus Christ, friend, cry out to him. Put your faith and trust in him. Turn from your sin and put it on Christ at the cross. Cry out to God, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you, God, and I can't save myself. So I believe that Jesus died for my sin, that your justice was put on him, that his death was died in my place so that I could be reconciled with you, my heavenly father. Oh, friend, if God is turning your heart to trust in him for these things, would you share it with us this morning? Would you consider getting baptized so that we can rejoice in your faith? Don't hide it. Don't put it under a bushel. God, thank you for this time. We pray, Lord, that we would remember that we will reap. In Jesus' name, amen.